Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. covers you who covers you um we talk about cover stories i want to talk a little bit here this morning about being covered in christ are you hidden in him jesus has you covered if you are in christ you are a new creation jesus has got you covered why am i bringing this up um There are times when very, very public people do things, say things in public that uh, are really related to very private details of their personal and interpersonal lives. And so there are times when public figures share private or personal information in very public ways, and then they have to make a choice about whether or not they are going to own that and publicly apologize um, or whether or not they are going to uh, act as if it didn't happen and act as if it doesn't matter. Kanye West and Kim Kardashian are very, very public people. They have a very public marriage. They have a very public life. They uh, they also, in the past couple of years, have had a very public uh, introduction to what I would call the Christian subculture in the United States of America. And we're talking about Kanye West today because last week uh, he had a very public, what I would describe as breakdown. Um, And as a part of that, he said in public, he shared in public some very private details about his marriage, about their family, that his wife, Kim Kardashian, was then publicly uh, regretting that her husband had shared. And so what was going to happen? That was the big intrigue, right? And so Kanye West has now publicly apologized to his wife for publicly disclosing what was a very private matter in relationship to um, the welfare and life of their children. That's the best way to describe that. Um, Why bring this up? Well, because as a part of this, Uh, Kanye West used the concept of covering. And so in his very public apology, Kanye West said on Twitter to his wife, I also assume this apology was made in private before it was made in public, but there you go. I would like to apologize to my wife, Kim, for going public with something that was a private matter. I did not cover her like she has covered me. To Kim, I want to say, I know I hurt you. Please forgive me. Thank you for always being there for me. Um, if you hadn't been already, let's be, uh, let's be praying. We, I have talked about this in the past. When a very public individual comes to Christ before a watching world that is hostile to Christianity, you can bet there are going to be people that are um, 
hoping and wishing for that person's demise and downfall. Let us not be those people. Let us pray for Kanye West. Let us pray for Kim Kardashian. Let us pray for their marriage. Let us pray for the strengthening of it in Christ. Let us pray that God would use this as a redemptive opportunity. And um, and today, as the world is talking about this, you can be a person who lifts up the part of the conversation about covering. He offers it in his tweet. What does it mean to be covered? What does it mean to be covered in Christ? <laughs> what does it mean for Christ? Not to, not to cover over our sins, but to have us covered, to be sheltered in the everlasting arms of God, to be received by him, for Christ to have our sins covered, not uh, with anything short of his redemptive blood. God's got you covered today in Christ if you are in him. All right, we're going to move to what I'm going to describe as international hour here. We are going to lead off with Lila Rizgala. We, uh, she and I are going to talk about refugees. We're going to talk about uh, the ministry she's engaged in with 4G3 uh, and a reminder um, about what happens after Me Too. That's Lila's book. We'll be right back. Lila Rizgala is my friend in real life. She is the author of What Happens After Me Too. I want to encourage you to find her at the number four, the letter G3, 4G3.org. Lila, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? Well, good morning, dear. Um, I'm fine. I miss seeing your uh, I miss seeing your face once a week as we are no longer, you know, like in a Zoom group together. But uh, but you it delights my heart to know that you are in the world doing what you do every day. Um, to bring the gospel to bear on the lives of refugees around the world. And so I want to talk about that subject with you today. Um, You and I have both read the headlines, and you know the reality here. Ninety percent fewer Christians who are facing persecution uh, are being resettled to the United States. Ninety percent would be the the drop-off since 2015. Talk with us about what you are seeing uh, among refugees around the world in recent years. Well, uh, you know, in recent years, really, um, I have seen that uh, the, the, the solution for the refugee problem is uh, not only being resettled to the U.S., because it's like in the past uh, few years, in places like Iraq and Syria especially, Uh, we see that uh, almost 90% of Christians have left the country and have uh, gone somewhere else, either to the U.S., to Canada, or to uh, other um, countries like Jordan uh, or Lebanon. Um, And so when we speak about uh, resettling, uh, really, um, and I looked at that report Um, that was um, published on the Christian Post. And when I looked at the number of Syrians and Iraqis uh, that have been resettled since 2015, they are really the least. So Syria, uh, there are only 31 people who were resettled in the U.S. from Syria in 2015. We personally know 10 of those Syrians here in the U.S. who've been resettled. 
Um, so, uh, you know, there will never be true religious freedom um, per se, as long as there are human beings on earth. I mean, uh, this is just the reality that we live in. Um, you know, uh, these refugees, they leave their countries. Uh, when they come to the U.S., they change their culture. They don't know the language. They are totally lost. Um, and that's why, um, in my personal opinion, um, I think that um, it would be better um, with the, some resettling, of course, when there is severe persecution, but to work with the governments who uh, accept refugees on immigration, immigration and asylum policies. So, for example, um, when I went to minister to Iraqis who uh, are refugees in Jordan, um, they are living in severely dire conditions. I mean, some of them are living um, like 20 people uh, in a place that is three stories underground, three floors underground. They have no oxygen. We literally suffocated just sitting there in their home for 15 minutes. So they are not uh, given the, um, uh, they cannot work. They cannot send their children to schools. Um, and so they are living in these conditions, and all of them are just dreaming of the day they will be resettled in the U.S. And uh, the question of the 4G3 team was always, what if you are resettled in Jordan? What if you learn how to live here? And they said, if we get the right to live, uh, to work, to send our children to school, um, to have a decent life with dignity, then we can we can uh, actually do that. And so um, 4G3, which stands for the global glory of God, um, it basically emboldens uh, displaced and persecuted Christians uh, in the Middle East to stand firm in their faith. And we do that through a 15-month uh, discipleship program, 70 hours. They get discipled on 10 core courses. Um, and uh, at the end of that, they actually learn to bloom where God has planted them. If God has displayed them to another Middle Eastern country, uh, then they know that this is where God wants them to be at that point. If, uh, go ahead. Well, I just think that, you know, I want to highlight that, what you guys are doing at 4G3, and again, you guys can find it at 4G3.org, you know, is really equipping and enabling Christians to, regardless of where they are right now, ge geographically um, in the world, to to thrive. And um, not only as disciples in Jesus Christ, but as uh, as residents, even as resident aliens or refugees um, in nations that are not their homeland, and so I just it's a um, it's a real gift that uh, that 4G3 is providing um, in these in these refugee realities around the world. Lila, we have to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation. I am talking with Lila Rizgala. You can find what we're talking about today at the letter four or the number four, the letter G, the number three, 4G3.org. That stands for the, gl the global glory of God. We'll be right back. Oh, 
Continue my conversation with Lila Rizgala, my sister in Christ, Egyptian by birth, uh, Christian by rebirth, citizen, co co heir in Christ with me of the kingdom of heaven. Um, she and her husband are engaged in a ministry called 4G3. You can find it at 4G3.org. Lila is also the author of What Happens After Me Too. Um, Lila, um, I, I'd love to pivot to a conversation with you about ministry with those who are in refugee communities um, and your experiences with those who just they just suffered such great trauma. And you've then translated that, you know, into this conversation about the Me Too movement. Um, just remind us about what happens after Me Too. Remind us about that book. And then, you know, help listeners who are, you know, in the United States of America and Canada um, recognize the need for this in our own lives. Like, we we have people in our lives for whom we need to be equipped in this way. Yes. Um, so um, working with uh, refugees, um, I I was always faced with the same um, sentence from a lot of people. And uh, that sentence would be, I want to tell you my secret. Uh, I have never divulged a secret to anybody before, but I really need to tell you about it. And and that person would tell me that they have been sexually abused when they were young. And for some reason, uh, they feel comfortable telling me that. And um, being uh, myself, myself being a pediatrician uh, by trade, <laughs> I, I find I found that um, I knew nothing about uh, sexual abuse. And so, uh, what happened was that um, that I equipped myself and. Uh, after my PhD, um, studied a Bachelor of Psychotherapy with a focus on sexual abuse uh, to be able to help those um, refugees who have been uh, abused and traumatized uh, either by um, ISIS, they've been uh, raped by ISIS, or they have been uh, raped uh, like the uh, Iraqi Yazidis. We find that a lot. Uh, and so helping those people became like my life mission. And so um, honestly, it's it was like um, uh, a calling. Um, and it is closer than you think. I mean, we think this doesn't happen in the U.S. It is closer than you think. And it's you, you probably know that one in every four girls and one in every eight boys will be sexually abused before they're 18. And 87% of abusers are known to the kid and to the family. And so, um, and so it is closer than we think. Only 10% of cases are reported because of the shame and the guilt connected with that, uh, because uh, the abuser, uh, who can be both a man or a woman, by the way, um, usually uh, prepares the child uh, or the teenager to accept the abuse. And this is why uh, they actually have a lot of guilt and shame, because somehow they feel that it was their fault 
that the abuse happened or uh, that they actually wanted that to happen, which is, of course, a, li a lie from the pit of hell. Uh, but um, when when uh, uh, the Me Too movement started and uh, Dr. Larry Nassar, who abused mm -hmm. uh, 200 uh, athletes, um, when I looked at uh, the trial, um, I watched it, I thought, my goodness, this is a pedophile by the book. And so I wanted to be proactive. And I thought, okay, let me write a book for parents of children and teens to show them who the abuser is, what are the signs of abuse, what are the consequences, what to do when a case is reported. And I didn't want it to be a heavy book because this is a really heavy subject. I just wanted to be a book that uh, someone can read it on the when when they are on in the underground when they're waiting in a doctor's uh, you know uh, office waiting for their turn. But then they would have all the um, all the information they need to see the signs and see what they actually need to do to protect uh, their children and their teens from this happening. And if it does happen what is the right reaction and what is the wrong reaction for that. Um, in fact, when, uh, when uh, I was ministering with uh, refugee kids um, and we use like a simple program for them that's all proactive with games and songs and um, uh, colorings and puppets and stuff like that, um, I actually every time discover at least 25% of the kids that we're ministering to have been abused. So one of the kids would say, um, do I really need to tell my mother even if uh, this person says he's sorry? And so it's like all these little comments that show uh, that abuse has happened, which is really sad because if it is not dealt with correctly, these kids... Uh, you know, it it actually um, explodes sometime in their life. They either go into drugs or into um, or into uh, multiple sex partners or into uh, homosexual lifestyles or into uh, uh, cutting and suicide and a lot of stuff that happens if that particular incident has not been dealt with. Lila. Um... I I have learned from you um, the importance of becoming a person who is safe to tell. And that um, that's one of, I think, the great gifts of your book um, is it helps the reader understand how to become a person who is safe to tell. And so thank you for that portion um, of the way that you have equipped me. And uh, and let me just encourage people, you, you and I have to leave our conversation right here today. I want people to go back and listen to the podcast when Lila was on with me. Um, we had a, an extended conversation about what happens after Me Too, her book on 10-17-18. So go get that podcast at MyFaithRadio.com or ReconnectWithCarmen.com. Um, and check out what Lila and her team are doing at 4G3.org, how they are equipping Christian refugees around the world to actually thrive right where they are. Lila Rosgala, um, thank you so much um, for what you do each and every day to, uh, to serve the King and advance the kingdom. Thank you, Carmen, for this wonderful opportunity. I love you, my sister. We'll be right back. <laughs> I love you too. Thanks. 
All right. Sometimes John Stone Street, you know, like that's a that's a weighty topic. All right. I'm gonna have to re-listen to that uh, that episode of Breakpoint. Um, up next, I've got David Aikman. He and I are going to survey some of the other international headlines that uh, we need to be paying to paying attention to, not only as citizens of this great nation, but as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, because the worldviews that are um, advanced by in particular here, we're going to talk about communist China and we're going to talk about Russia and we're going to talk about North Korea. Um, okay, so the worldview out of which these these nations are operating is just vastly different than our Judeo-Christian Western worldview. And so um, it's important for us to recognize that as we read the international headlines of the day. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. Forgiveness is not foolishness. Forgiveness at its core is choosing to see your offender with different eyes. By the way, how can we grace recipients do anything less? Dare we ask God for grace when we refuse to give it? This is a huge issue in Scripture. Jesus was tough on sinners who refused to forgive other sinners. Remember his story in Matthew 18 about the servant freshly forgiven a debt of millions who refused to forgive a debt equal to a few dollars? He stirred the wrath of God. You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt. Shouldn't you have mercy just as I had mercy on you? In the final sum, we give grace because we've been given grace. And we've been given grace so we can freely give it. See your enemies as God's child and revenge as God's job. This is Max Lucado. My name is Bond, James Bond. Joining me now, David Aikman. He's the editor of Godspeed Magazine. Joins me every Monday to talk across some international headlines. Hi, David. It's great to have you back. Thank you. Lovely to talk to you again. I am uh, I am rich in um, in tomatoes. Do you call them tomatoes or tomatoes? I call them when I'm in in Ireland. I say tomato, but when I'm in America, I say tomato. <laughs> Do you have them at breakfast? Uh, sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, I rather like tomatoes. I know. I wish. I wish there were a way a way for me to ship you some because I have gallons of cherry tomatoes right now. Gallons. I don't. I. I have no idea what to do with all of them. Okay, that's my own personal problem. Let's deal with China and the closure okay. of the U.S. consulate. Um, the flag has been brought down. People were taking selfies as the U.S. consulate was closed in, uh, and I'm going to probably mispronounce the name of the Chinese city, so I'm going to let you do it. I'm, I'm sorry, the Chinese city where the consulate was closed? Yeah. Um, Cheng, Chengdu? I, Chengdu, yes, that's correct. All right. Chengdu, which is Sichuan province, and... Uh, it's quite an important consulate, and it happens to be paired with the um, Houston uh, consulate. So it's uh, the Chinese consulate in Houston. So they could possibly close that if they if they close anything in response. 
All right. And just let's just talk about what you see, um, how you see the devolution of U.S.-China relations, um, because I think that once we start closing consulates, right, what we're saying is we are beginning to shut down uh, the the way that we work with a foreign government. Yes, that's completely correct. And ever since President Trump came into office uh, three years ago, uh, he has put the screws on China because of what they have been doing to the United States in property, uh, intellectual property theft, uh, causing companies to uh, do their manufacturing in China, therefore cutting jobs in the United States, and all kinds of fairly serious friction on the trade front. But in addition to that, American um, political scientists and international experts have come to the conclusion that the original premise of the U.S.-China relationship was that it would be a balance to the difficulties of dealing with Russia in the Cold War. Well, that was fine, but the assumption behind it was if you were nice to China and you helped to become a powerful international trading partner, she would basically... Uh, normalize her activities and wouldn't be as aggressive towards you. That, unfortunately, has not happened. And I think it's interesting that both Democrats and Republicans have come to the largely, largely the same conclusion, that China is not just a rival, it's an adversary, and really means harm to the United States. Maybe we um, pivot to a conversation, David, um, about Russia. Um, one of the one of the headlines here, we're at the intersection of China and Russia, um, is that apparently Russia is delaying the delivery of some missiles that China was expecting to receive to, from them. Um, but you and I are going to talk about some other uh, Russia-related headlines. Um, Talk with us about these anti-satellite weapons tests. Yeah, well, Russia launched a um, some kind of um, space object designed to shoot down enemy satellites. And it did it in the vicinity of an American satellite that is quite strategic. So basically, Russia showed that she has the intentions and the ability, if called upon, to destroy American communication satellites. And that would be a very dangerous situation for the U.S. to get into. Um, and then other Russia-related headlines. Um, I'm just wondering, among the range of conversations that you and I might have about Russia, um, maybe the conversation the phone call between President Trump and um, and President Putin. Is there anything in that that sort of leaps off the page at you as, you know, sort of worthy of our consideration in terms of how our two countries are relating to one another? Well, yes, it is, because how Trump relates to Putin 
determines very much how the United States responds to Russia's actions in many different parts of the world, particularly in Ukraine and other locations where Russia is being very active and is seeming to threaten NATO allies. So I don't know what they actually discuss in detail, but I assume that both men took the measure of each other, as they always do in these discussions. And I don't know quite how President Trump has evaluated Putin. But there's no question that Putin regards Trump as an adversary in the same way that China regards the United States as an adversary. And in fact, one of the features of the China-Russia relationship uh, is that in many cases, they're joining together to oppose the United States in parts of the world where it's very important to each of these two countries. For example, the Russians support China, China's military expansion in the South China Sea, and China supports Russia's actions supporting Ukrainian Russian nationalist rebels in the Ukraine. So that's a fairly serious combination of axes against the United States. All right, David, you and I have to take a very brief break. When we come back, let's pivot to North Korea, and uh, which has issued a COVID emergency, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that. We're also going to talk about how Poland is helping refugees. Those conversations up next with David Aikman. We'll be right back. Continue my conversation with David Aikman from Godspeed Magazine. David, you and I have talked about North Korea on uh, on many, many occasions about a range of topics. Um, we've ta- we've described it as the hermit kingdom because we just know so little about what goes on there. Uh, but North Korean leader King, Kim Jong-un, Axios is reporting this, um, uh, ordered... Um, a city near the border with South Korea to be placed on lockdown and declared a, quote, maximum emergency because of a suspected coronavirus case. Um, just just give us your sense of uh, really what could potentially be going on in North Korea. I know that it's speculative, but that's about as good as we've got right now. Yes, well, North Korea has emphatically denied that it's ever had any coronavirus cases so far. So the fact that that they've admitted that a particular case broke out in that area of North Korea is quite significant. And, you know, very analogous to a city in uh, a resort close to Da Nang in Vietnam, which takes a lot of American and European holidaymakers And the entire tourist community was evacuated from the city. So North Korea is not particularly odd in reacting very strongly to this uh, uh, 
big exhibition of the coronavirus in its own country. Yeah, and, and this is going to be one of those stories where, you know, whether or not we ever know the the real numbers in China or whether or not we ever know the real numbers in North Korea, um, because of uh, how restrictive these nations are and how uh, willing they are to not tell the truth, um, right. we may we may never know. Hey, talk with That's us about right. this. Talk with us about this story out of Poland, because this is, um, you know, here's a here's a positive good news international story about the way that um, that Poland could. Uh, help those fleeing persecution. This is uh, this is from the UN. I, I found this fascinating. Yes. Well, Poland has taken a fairly strict no-entry uh, policy towards refugees from mostly from Southern Europe and North Africa, and the UN has said that Poland would do much better to allow refugees to come in and to relieve the pressure on, on the rest of Europe. And Poland has generally taken a fairly um, fairly negative view to having immigrants overrun the country because it's pretty hard to homogeneous. And uh, they really don't want a whole bunch of outsiders changing the patterns and the lifestyle in their own countries. So they've generally resisted. So it's a very interesting development that the UN is taking this approach. Yeah, because why why pick one country um and why you know why isolate Poland in this way might be part of the conversation. Like why would the UN target target one? And is it because the UN is not getting uh, their way um, in Poland, and they feel like they are getting their way in other uh, European countries? It, it's hard to see whether they particularly targeted Poland or whether there are other factors involved. Um, other countries might be doing more or might be better placed in the UN uh, general galaxy of favorite country, but it's quite an important development because it forces the Polish government to really respond in a very definite way to this stuff. So uh, I think it's going to be around for quite a few weeks. Hey, David, when you're um, when you're just, you know, talking amongst your friends and when you're surveying the, the headlines of the day, what has your attention that we are probably missing in the U.S.? Well, a situation behind the scenes, well, it's not entirely behind the scenes, uh, but it hasn't been reported upon, is the growing proximity of China to Russia in activities that could threaten the United States. Cooperation of Drones that can operate independently of an operator on the ground somewhere else and can kill people that they want to take out. Uh, the fact that Russia is helping China in this particular technology is really quite serious because the Chinese need the help of the Russians in their aviation skills 
to do the kind of surveillance that they try to do with the rest of their population, with their use of these cameras all over the country. So it's quite a quite a dangerous development, I think. And there are other military areas where they're cooperating in. Uh, the Russians are giving jet engines, they're providing assistance to the Chinese in building a medium-range airline and so forth. So there's more than meets the eye in what's going on. Plus, she has had more meetings with Putin than any other two international leaders of any country. So that's very significant. And then give us just a quick update in terms of um, uh, where you know where you are geographically and the the freedom of movement related to covid it's a moving target here in the united states depending literally not just on the state that you're in but maybe the city that you're in and cities that you want to go visit i'm just wondering what's your experience where you live well first of all uh ireland and the uk have basically had a free border but now the irish have imposing restrictions on immigrants coming from the UK. The UK initially said that people who wanted to go to Spain were happy to fly there, but all of a sudden, last night, they imposed the restriction that people returning from Spain would actually have to have 14 days of quarantine before they did anything active in in the UK itself. So the conditions on the ground are changing so, so fast. You can't rely on anything being, uh, being a sort of clear development that will stay in place. Well, you'll appreciate this then. I'm, uh, I am reading a breaking news story out of Washington, D.C., uh, the D.C. mayor has just ordered travelers from 27 states across the United States of America who have arrived in uh, in the nation's capital to self-quarantine in their hotel rooms for 14 days. So there you go. We uh, we have an ever-moving target here in the United States as well. And uh, it's these are interesting days. These are such interesting days. David Aikman, thank you so much for helping us uh Every single week, understand the international headlines as Christians in the culture today. Thank you very much, Tom, and enjoy the program. We really appreciate it. We'll be right back. All right. If you're in uh, Arkansas, Arizona, Alabama, well, actually, let's just do the ones that I suspect you're in. Iowa, Kansas, hmm, Nebraska, hmm. North Dakota, Tennessee, Wisconsin. Yeah, we can't go to D.C. 27 states on the list just released by the D.C. mayor restricting travel. uh, Well, actually restricting travelers. You can go to D.C., but you must remain self-quarantined for 14 days before you could, you know, roam around the nation's capital and do whatever you had planned to do there. Uh, That is going to be the lead headline, my guess, is uh, going forward today. So you might want to tune in to that. Thank you for tuning in here to Mornings with Carmen. You can catch the podcast later at MyFaithRadio.com. Check out all the great resources we have posted there. Share today's show with someone new. Have a great day. God bless.
Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.